Hey there, my name's Michael Laminato and this is qualifying day at the 2023 Qatar Grand Prix on Pit Pass F1. Pit Pass F1 is brought to you by Evergreen Podcasts and on today's episode, Max Verstappen takes an easy pole position, his 10th of the year, around the Los Ailes circuit for Sunday's Grand Prix. But who joined him in the top three? The re-emergence of track limits as a major issue on the slippery and gusty circuit meant no one was really sure straight after qualifying. First it was Lando Norris and George Russell, then it was George Russell and Oscar Piastri. Now, finally, it's George Russell and Lewis Hamilton, starting second and third on the grid. Elsewhere, more teams have stated their cases on the matter of Michael Andretti's bid to be the sport's 11th team, with politicking certainly hotting up. To take us through it, let's cross to our man on the ground who's never outside track limits, it's Luke Smith. Between qualifying drama and some off-track chatter about potential expansion of F1's grid, it's been another intriguing day of action at the LaSalle International Circuit. It is Luke Smith here, senior Formula One writer for The Athletic, coming to you from Doha following all of Friday's action at the Qatar Grand Prix. We are another day closer to Max Verstappen's inevitable coronation as F1 world champion for a third time. And if there was even the smallest shred of doubt that things could be delayed any longer, another pole position for Verstappen on Friday only pushed home the advantage he has over the rest of the F1 field at the moment. Now, the sprint weekend formats always seem to produce some kind of surprise or at least some confusion, and Friday in Qatar was really no different. We saw some shock Q2 dropouts, some aggro down at Aston Martin, and mid-park Fermi interview penalties. But it all ended in a very familiar result, with Verstappen once again at the top of the tree. Throughout Thursday, Verstappen, who we know is not a fan of sprint races whatsoever, kept highlighting the challenge of dialing the car in correctly with only a single practice session in Qatar this weekend, and also noting the added dynamic of the massive temperature change between practice and the time that qualifying came around at nightfall. And just to throw another curveball in there, it was quite a windy day in Doha, very surprisingly. We were driving into the track this morning and there was sand blowing across the motorway, and it was noticeable even watching the safety car and the medical car going out and do their laps ahead of FP1, just how much sand that their cars were kicking up. Combined with the resurfaced track and the lack of support series in Qatar, it all meant that track evolution was always going to be extremely high throughout qualifying, setting up some potential surprises. But none of that would impact Verstappen. He eased through the first two stages of qualifying as the sun went down and comfortably had provisional pole after the first runs in Q3. Verstappen did make a mistake on his second run at turn four when he tried to carry a little bit too much speed through the corner, causing him to go wide and lose his lap. He explained after the session that it was quite tricky to keep the rear end of the car completely under control, but it all meant that he was already back in the pits when pole position was confirmed. The final laps were completed and his closest challenger Lando Norris could only finish two tenths of a second off Verstappen's benchmark, meaning Verstappen had secured pole position number 30 of his F1 career. But that didn't stop there being some post-qualifying confusion. As soon as Lando Norris crossed the line for McLaren, P2 being a, a pretty good qualifying result all things considered, he got on the radio and started criticising himself. 
It quickly emerged that he'd made a mistake on his final lap that caused him to go outside of track limits, something he knew would be really, really costly. He had already lost his first Q3 lap to a track limits breach, and the second strike meant that he ended the session with no time set, dropping him all the way back to 10th place. Norris was pretty hard on himself over the radio and even took to social media after the session to apologise for the error taking full accountability. But one thing he can take from today is that the McLaren does look really, really quick. And it wouldn't surprise me if we'd see Norris up in that podium fight come the end of the weekend. There's still every chance of a really good result for him on Sunday, even from further back. Norris's lap time being deleted did promote George Russell onto the front row for Mercedes. There was quite a funny moment in Parc Ferme when Russell asked Oscar Piastri, Norris's teammate, where's Lando? Where is he? It wasn't Lando, he wasn't going to be coming because it was Oscar who was up to third place. Or so it seemed. Because midway through Piastri's Parc Ferme interview with Naomi Schiff, he was informed that he had also lost his lap time to a track limits breach. That meant he dropped back to sixth place. Piastri took the news well, he still posed for the top three pitcher alongside Verstappen and Russell and even deadpanned about the news mid-interview and also did quite a funny tweet afterwards uh, with the picture of the three of them celebrating the, uh, the result in qualifying. In the end, that all meant it was Lewis Hamilton who moved up to third place in the second Mercedes car. Hamilton turned up to the press conference with Verstappen and Russell, but before it could even start, he was pulled away, as F1 still had to do his park firm ATV interview. It was all a little bit farcical and something that none of the drivers could quite understand why it was so complicated to get through all the various procedures. All of it also reignited the debate about track limits and what we might be able to do to try and avoid such weird situations like this in the future. Now, it's something that we have talked to death about this year and something that, frankly, I find quite a boring topic, track limits. And it really hit its peak in Austria, if you remember. That was where so many drivers ended up with penalties for running wide, making mistakes, and it really shook up the final race result. And it took many, many hours until we actually knew who had finished where. Back then, we were asking if there was a better way to approach things. Then we go to a circuit like Suzuka, where, as Verstappen pointed out very rightly so after qualifying, the track limits are pretty natural. It's grass, it's gravel, it's maybe how racing should be. But Lewis Hamilton felt that we could actually take some lessons from Qatar that could potentially be applied at other circuits. He was very honest, saying that Lando should be here, Lando should be the man in the top three. But he pointed to the curbs that are used in Qatar as being very, very good to prevent people from running wide. I spoke yesterday on the podcast about that five centimetre dip in places that some drivers fear could be destroying their floors. But the curbs do work. They are a natural deterrent and also work for MotoGP, which obviously is the big question mark we also have about track limits. How do you get something that works for tracks that want to host more than just Formula One? Hamilton said that the curbs in Qatar were so good that they could maybe be used at other circuits, even picking out Austria as an example, and it's something that could allow for a ditching of those track limit rules altogether, because there would be this natural deterrent. But so long as we do keep up with this white line rule, where if you go over, that's it, your lap is deleted, it seems inevitable we're going to get more and more moments where drivers are waiting for minutes, maybe even hours after a session to find out what the final result is. Anyway, there were some other noteworthy results in qualifying, including Fernando Alonso getting fourth place for Aston Martin, Valtteri Bottas reaching Q3 for Alfa Romeo, and a couple of surprises in Q2, as both Red Bull's Sergio Perez and Ferrari's Carlos Sainz, pole sitter at Monza and winner just two races ago in Singapore, were eliminated at the second hurdle. Perez's dropout was also a result of track limits, continuing his pretty rough run of form lately. 
But one of the biggest stories from qualifying concerned Lance Stroll and his reaction to his key one knockout for Aston Martin. Stroll qualified 17th and after throwing his steering wheel out of his cockpit in the garage, he was then caught on the F1 TV cameras, appearing to push his trainer, Henry Howe. Howe was trying to get Stroll to go down to the FIA Weybridge, which is part of a new protocol that's been introduced by the FIA since Singapore. Stroll's trainer was pointing him towards the front of the garage, saying, we have to go down this way. But as Stroll was walking back, Howe went with him, and there did appear to be a little bit of a push. Stroll still had his helmet on, and it's obviously the heat at the moment. He maybe couldn't quite hear what Howe was trying to tell him. And the positioning of the wall meant that we didn't really see fully what exactly happened. But still, it really was not a good reaction from Stroll, who also delivered a very terse interview to Formula 1 afterwards. He used a grand total of 10 words to answer 3 questions, including an expletive to sum up his performance. And it really showed just what a low ebb his form has hit lately. We know he's been a step behind Fernando Alonso right the way through this season, but things just do not appear to be clicking for him right now. And then to react in such a fashion as he did today, even in the heat of the moment, is surely something that will lead to questions about his attitude. Away from the track, there was yet more chatter around Andretti's Formula 1 plans, as the team bosses weighed in during the FIA press conference. We spoke to the drivers yesterday who, for the most part, said it would be good to expand the grid, have a couple more cars, but they did understand that it was a much bigger commercial consideration than that. But the teams were pretty straightforward in their view, which has not changed one iota. James Vowles was pretty unequivocal in giving his thoughts on behalf of Williams, saying the team was very strongly against expanding the grid to 11 teams. Vowles made the point that although there is some semblance of stability on the grid now, the first time in forever that we're not talking about teams maybe going bust or struggling for funding, he still thinks around half of the teams are still financially unstable because they need to invest so heavily right now in order to get competitive and make up the gap to the competition. Ferrari's Fred Vasseur also raised the question about what value Andretti would really bring to F1, given there is already an American team in Haas and an American driver in Logan Sargent. Fowles also made an interesting comment about General Motors, who of course Andretti is planning to link up with for its F1 entry through GM's Cadillac brand. Val said he would welcome GM to F1 with open arms, given it would be another manufacturer on the grid. But something to consider with all of this is that GM, unlike, say, Audi or Ford and its work with Red Bull powertrains, is not planning to make an F1 engine. Now, if it were, I think the reaction would be very different. We'd be talking about a major American manufacturer coming to F1 at a time with all of its might, all of its know-how. But because there isn't quite that commitment yet from GM and Cadillac, it does definitely raise a few more questions about Andretti's proposal. The coming months are going to be very telling, I think. F1 is going to go through a rigorous process, but it is very, very clear where all of the F1 teams do stand on this. Lewis Hamilton also weighed in on the topic. He was on Twitter this morning, actually, explaining that he didn't support Andretti per se, but was in favour of an 11th team that could maybe push things such as diversity and help make F1 a bit more inclusive. He spoke after qualifying and said that he thinks the criteria for any new teams should really emphasise these issues. He said F1 is still a sport that is run by white men, all of the team owners, all of the power brokers. And he said it'd be great if a team could come in, focus on diversity and maybe give an opportunity to a female driver perhaps to try and get a seat on the F1 grid. So that is a wrap for Friday in Qatar. It's been a busy old day, both on and off the circuit, but I think tomorrow is going to be a very memorable one. It all looks set that Max Verstappen will be crowned as a three-time world champion in the sprint race. A little underwhelming, perhaps, but still no less momentous an achievement. 
I will talk to you then with all of the latest on Pit Pass F1. Thanks very much to Luke, who's in Qatar all weekend, bringing us the latest from the Lusail paddock. Make sure you don't miss an update from the Qatar Grand Prix by subscribing to Pit Pass F1 wherever you get your favourite podcasts, and you can visit us at pitpassmotorsports.com. While you're there, check out the Pit Pass Motorsports blog, powered by Podium Life, featuring racing articles and motorsport industry news. You can also keep up to date with goings-on between episodes by following Luke on social media. Just check the links in the show description. My name's Michael Laminato. Pit Pass F1 is an evergreen podcast. Have you ever wanted to know how to win a Formula One Grand Prix? I mean, really know. Know about the driver tactics from the cockpit, the strategy calls from the pit wall, and even the mind games in the paddock. There's a lot more that goes into winning a Grand Prix than just 90 minutes of racing. So every week on the F1 Strategy Report, we're taking a deep dive into the decisions that shape every result. Hey there, my name is Michael Laminato, and every week I'm joined by an expert guest from the paddock to talk through the big calls that won the race and the missteps that resulted in bitter defeat. Before every race, we'll look back at the previous year's result and consult the current form guide, and we'll be in your feed after every Grand Prix, dissecting the outcome and what it means for the championship. So for your regular hit of Formula One analysis, subscribe to the F1 Strategy Report wherever you get your favourite podcasts. The Strategy Report is a beer mogul podcast on the Evergreen Podcasts Network. My name's Michael Laminato, and I'll catch you after the chequered flag.